Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami, once again. Big Dave, we're back in town talking to one another, man. I'm excited to be here talking about our series on membership engagement. I'm excited to hear from our guest today, man. This this is a cool series. I'm I'm enjoying these conversations. So Edson, you are the third person that we've talked to in this engagement, very specific engagement series where we're talking to people from lots of different organizations to understand their their woes and struggles and successes as it as as it has to do with engagement. So let me introduce Edson Olds. Edson is uh, Edson, where are you located? You're down in DC by any chance? Yep, we're in DC. I I'm in Maryland myself, but our organization is in Northern Virginia. So Edson is with an organization called ICEP uh, Study Abroad. Is that the second half of it? You got it. ICEP Study Abroad. It's I-S-E-P. And I said, Edson, earlier we were talking, Tom, I said, Edson, why can't I find what ICEP stands for anywhere on your site? And he says, well, because it's a little bit of an outdated name. Is that fair to say, Edson? Yep, fair to say. It used to be International Student Exchange Program, but exchange is just one small component of what they do. So now they just it's 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 ICEP student abroad or study abroad, study abroad. You know, it's very funny, Dave. As as you say that I have found myself. I make it my mission. I you come to a site and you will make I'll spend an hour trying to search for what is a four three or four letter acronym stand for. And when you can't find it's like, all right, I give up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I did. And, and so that's why I said, Edson, either your website's horrible because I have no idea who you are, <laughs> but apparently it's by design. It's by design. Everybody in their industry knows who they are. So so Edson was is now the chief operating officer. It's a 35 person uh, organization. They got 350 universities in their network that they they work with. He used to be uh, the marketing guy over there, right? And his his responsibilities have broadened. So with that, Edson, I think the way we like to roll here is we want to get to know you a little, want to get to know ICEP a little, and then we're going to dig a little deeper into, um, you know, what what are you struggling with and what are you doing well with when it comes to engagement? So having said that, take us back. I, I think you told me you were born and raised in Massachusetts, in my neck of the woods. I was. I was born in, well... Born in Maryland, raised in Massachusetts, returned to Maryland for college, met my wife and have been down here in Maryland in the D.C., Baltimore markets ever since. So how did you find your way to, uh, to uh, should I say, associations, or maybe even more specifically ISEP? I mean, nobody goes, nobody in high school says, man, I want to I wanna work as an association executive one day. <laughs> I don't think anybody really says that. So how did you stumble into this? Well, for me, I mean, I started my career in ad agencies, you know, which was a fantastic way to get started in the business, working with a lot of different businesses, clients. And one of my first clients early on was Sylvan Learning Center, national chain of oh, yeah. tutoring facilities. And and that was my kind of foray into the education space and it, it, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. I mean, for the first time, I felt like all my hard work was going against something that I felt was making a difference and mattered in a way that was important to me. 
So I've spent most of my career, you know, working uh, with and for education companies, primarily in the K through 12 area, but most recently at ISEP in, in higher education. And, uh, you know, it is really incredibly gratifying, you know, to work with students who are experiencing life abroad and the confidence that they gain from these experiences, the cultural awareness and sensitivity, the language skills, it is truly a life-changing experience. And it's really a rewarding place to be. And I tell you, ISEP, and I know that some of our, you know, colleagues in the field too, we're all filled with people who have studied abroad as college students and went on from that experience to say, I want to work in the field of international education. You know, this was a, this was a game changing experience for me and this is what I want to do. So it's great to be around those people too. It's a lot of fun. So let let me share a little uh, personal experience with you about what you just said. I've got three boys. One is graduating from UConn soon. And I, I know ISEP does not work with UConn. I also have two. One is in University of Vermont right now. And the other one is a senior in high school going to University of Vermont next year. And I know University of Vermont works closely with ISEP. So having said that, um, my son at UConn went to Paris uh, for a semester. And he got there. First, he was really nervous about it. You know, and you don't think your kids really get that wound up about things. Well, I, I didn't think he does, but it, as it turns out, he was extremely anxious about this semester abroad and uh, like really wound up to the point where he doesn't think he wants to go now. But we're like, nah, you're going. So he, he goes to Paris, he gets there, he is miserable. It's like, he was like, a, a, I really hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't want to embarrass him. But uh, I, I highly doubt he's going to listen to dad's a podcast on association stuff. So that, that's what I got going for me right now. But so he got there and he, I, I thought of it, it was like a, a, a mouse with his, his leg caught in a trap. You know, it was like, he just couldn't get out of this scenario. And that's a terrible analogy. Anyway, so what happened, though, over the next few weeks, Edson, was when he finally heard that he cannot change this, when he finally accepted that, like, this is it. Like, this is going to happen. Because oh, the alternative is you come home. And he wasn't willing to give up and quit. Like that's the only thing he wouldn't do is give up and quit. He wanted to change places. He wanted to like just complain about stuff. He, once he finally accepted it, everything changed. It's it's like this veil came off and he could finally see in color again. It was incredible to watch. And I think that's what you're talking about is this watching kids go through the struggle and getting through the other side where all of a sudden they gain this incredible confidence because they accomplished something so big for the first time in their lives. Yeah, you better believe it. It's true. You know, and there are a lot of different forms of study abroad, you know, because what you're describing that your son experienced is a real hurdle. So when we get into talking about engagement challenges in this Oh yeah, in that's what we're world, talking about today, right? It's 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 you're going to hear me talk a lot about retention because you know we 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 want to get kids over this this hurdle so that they can go through this experience. But it is, I like to think of it. It's almost like going to 
you know, what students experience when they leave home to go to college for the first time. They're out there, they're on their own, they've got to meet new students. And for us, I mean, there are some study abroad programs in the field where, you know, students might go with other classmates or students from their own university on a faculty-led program and be, be in a familiar or with some familiar faces. But what your son experiences is more of what students on ISIP programs experience. They, they do need to take that leap. And they need to, just like the first day they step on college campus, they're going to be stepping on a, on a new college campus and they need to be ready to meet people. They need to embrace, you know, what is going to be uncomfortable at first. They're so far but, from home. So in a foreign language, home. oftentimes. But, well, you, it's like not like see. you can get in a car and drive back to the house. I mean, you're, no. you're, you're 10, 15 hours of flight time to get anywhere back close to home, which has got to be a little daunting. The food is different. People look and smell and, in, in the, and, and talk different. The bathrooms are different. The customs are different. The, you don't know anybody. And for many of these kids that grow up in a fairly privileged environment, this is the first time they've truly been on their own. Yeah, I think that's true. That's true. And, um, you know, there are other students there having the same experience. So like when students go away to college for the first time, everyone's in the same boat of, of wanting to meet people and try to find a comfort zone. That happens on study abroad programs too. There's lots of other students that are in the same boat and it doesn't take long. I mean, a lot of the universities, most of the universities we work with, they have orientation programs for these students. Sometimes they have them arrive early and they take them on excursions around the city or the region. They find ways, just like universities do for the incoming freshmen first years, to, to integrate them and to find opportunities for them to make friends. So it doesn't take long for most students to begin to get more comfortable and to get acclimated. And then just as your son went through, the transformation starts to happen and they start to, uh, to really fall in love and with, with the place because most students are studying abroad. It, the conversation for them starts with a destination in mind, right? I'm really passionate about France. I'd really love to go to Paris. So once they get over that hurdle in that university environment, they can really begin to experience Paris and France and the region or what, whatever their aspirations are. So real quick, Dave, so we can establish a ground base level uh, moving in and get before you can engage, you obviously have to understand your customer and you have to have a value proposition. So, so that, that's who's your predominant members out there and um how do you connect in with them and what's the big value proposition that y'all bring to the table for them and let me add a quick component to that question edson you said to me earlier that uh, isap is not exactly an association um you have 350 universities in your in your network um, you work with students, you work with the, uh, the university. So explain to me what you mean when you say it's not really an association. So it, it, maybe you can bundle all that together, your value proposition. Tell us about ASAP. Yeah, sure. I mean, we are an, an association, of course, you know, my own, maybe it's my own personal, you know, uh, thought process of, but we're not, we're not recruiting individuals, you know, and we're not kind of in a volume recruitment kind of a game mm -hmm. for us. You know, as I said, we've got a little more than 350 universities that are members of ISEP. 
And we are likely going to remain in or around this size for quite some time. You know, for us, we are looking for members who see an opportunity for their students within the ISEP network of study abroad options that they're not able to find elsewhere. And they have a need for us to help meet their global education goals as a university. So in terms of engagement, value proposition, we've talked a lot about students so far, but really we are a B to B to C model. Our universities are where engagement starts. Students will go into a university's global education office, international education office, it's called different things at different universities, and they will start to have conversations with their students or with their uh, staff there about what they need in terms of what courses are you taking? What are you majoring in? We need to make sure that when you go abroad, you've got the right credits to come back so you can stay on track. Where do you wanna go? What is your budget? All these types of things. And then the university will present options, right? For that student of which we are typically one. We are a nonprofit organization, not, not all in the study abroad world are, but we are. And one of the forms of study abroad that we offer is this exchange model. And the wonderful thing about it is that when a student studies abroad, on an exchange program with ISEP, they pay their home university's tuition. So if they are on a full ride scholarship, that applies. They're going abroad for whatever it is they're paying for their home university, right? And likewise for the student that is then coming from overseas into the US university. Which doesn't so, work out so well for the American students generally because if I'm not mistaken, the university prices in the U.S. are outrageously high compared to the rest of the world, right? I, I think I'd rather pay the French or the Paris business school rate than the University of Connecticut rate. Well, and that's a, that's that's another form of study abroad where we call it ISIP Direct, where you are directly enrolling in that university through us. But the beautiful thing about exchange and, and, and this model is, I mean, it, it provides study abroad opportunities for students who wouldn't otherwise be able to experience it. Yeah. Right. So, like I said, I mean, the most extreme case is a full ride scholarship student. You know, all they've got to do to, to go abroad is be able to come up with the funds for the airfare and and life abroad. And, and we offer scholarships for that for some students. And. So it's, uh, you know, our value proposition, going back to your question, Tom, is we, that is a opportunity that we provide that many don't. So universities look at ISEP and they say, okay, they provide opportunities for certain segments of our students that others don't. We also are the largest network in the industry, meaning we can take students to places others can't. Right. right. We can take them to the popular destinations of London and Paris and Seoul, but we can also take them to places like Botswana, Ghana, Malta, Buenos Aires, places that, you know, that that other providers of study abroad programs can't. So, you know, our value proposition is really to be a solution provider to our universities to work with them to understand what are their global education objectives 
what are some of the gaps they have in meeting those objectives? And how is it ISIP with this enormous network of ours, how can we potentially uh, provide solutions to some of those gaps? Do you, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you work with the universities, their staff, students, do you engage parents at all? Occasionally, but not too often. Not too often. It's, you don't make it. Usually... I'm assuming you don't have a direct outreach to parents. You might you might respond to parents, support yes. parents, but you don't necessarily have a direct line where you're sending messages to parents. That's right. Once we start working with students, and we we work with students from the moment they raise their hand, and and, and it's usually because you know someone at their university suggested an ISIP program to meet their needs, and they reach out to us. So from the moment they do that all the way through the completion of their program and even into an alumni association that we have for our students, we're supporting them. And most of the time, the, the communication is directly with the student. But there are times where uh, where parents might have questions or my parents might need to get involved. But you're right, For primarily we're, we're working with the 18 and 19 and 20 year olds directly. Well, Dave, you know, I, real quick yeah. on that, uh, you know, it was a rude awakening to me when I, when we took our daughter to college and she's obviously 18 and the school basically during the orientation said, now parents, you need to understand this. Your child is an adult and our relationship <laughs> is with them and you don't matter. We, you need their, we need their permission for you to communicate with us. And uh, parents are like, what? <laughs> when did that come into play? I've raised this person for 18 years. I get to know her. They're like, no, nope, you're not you, an adult. You're, you're signing them over. You know, and now they're doing their own thing and you need their permission for us to communicate with you directly. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a little bit, of, especially going abroad. You know, that's probably a rude awakening for some for a lot of parents. Absolutely. Yeah. But we it's true. They a, are adults. We could have a whole podcast. It'd be a long oh, one yeah. about the changes in parenting practices. I can tell you right now, I'm not going to blame other people. I can tell you right now, we've helicoptered our kids. Like we've pampered them. You know, there, there, so much has changed between the 70s when I was growing up and uh, the tens, the zeros and tens when I was raising my kids. Like so much has changed. Since last century, right? <laughs> we, we don't want them to feel pain. We don't want them to fail at anything, which is unrealistic. I heard somebody say recently that failure is, is just the process of success. It, it, it's, it, I've heard lots of variations of that, but anyway, I, I'm going down a rabbit hole, Tom. So we got to pull ourselves back out of this and get back to the point, which is engagement. So you, right. you are engaging the the universities, but there's no such thing as engaging an organization. You have to engage people at the organization. So you communicate with staff and you communicate with students directly. Exactly. Yes. And, and so you have two constituencies that you're talking to students and staff at universities? Students and staff around the world, different time zones. And if you really wanna take it one step further, you know, when we've got the mar marketing hat on, you know, the, the engagement of the ISIP brand within the international education industry is yet a third layer. But to your point, yes, we are dealing with 
international education offices and their staff at our members. As I said, more than 350 of those. So, you know, multiple staff in each location. And then, yeah, on top of that, 5,000 students a year or so who raise their hand. Not all of them, of course. Many of them don't end up participating in a program. But, yeah, we've got an awful lot of uh, engagement challenges given two different audiences, global audience. How, how many people would you be communicating with the, the average university? A staff? We try to funnel communications through a single point of contact, but it's mm -hmm. generally... Generally, I'd say anywhere from two to two to five that are that are on our contact lists. Gotcha. And and so just so I have a clear, maybe we're going too deep on the structure, and it may not matter so much. But I'm I'm curious. You you've got 350 organizations. You mentioned you are not working with UConn. You are working with University of Vermont. You so you've got a whole bunch of organizations on the the U.S. side. And then you have all these organizations that you're sending students to around the world. So uh, how many universities, I guess you have two sides of this, right? You have the senders and the receivers. <laughs> the senders are like UVM is sending people over to other places for a semester. How does that 350 break down from, and, and what do you call the sending organization versus the receiving organization? Does that? Yeah. Makes sense. Every university in our membership are both senders and receivers. We call the senders the ho the the home university, yeah, and we call the receivers the host university. That's okay. the inside terminology. But you know, one of the things that makes us unique is you know we're not just you know UVM is a great example, longtime member of ours, uh, great great member of ours. They are sending plenty of students overseas on ISIP programs. Those overseas universities are also sending students back to UVM. Oh, so okay. everybody in the All network right. is both a sender or a, a home or host or Let's a receiver your words. or yeah. a host. Your Correct. words are way better. Sender <laughs> receiver is weird. I like home and host way more. All right, so let, let's get into this question of engagement. What are you doing? And pick what you like. What do you struggle with and what works well? Well, listen, we I could probably make arguments that what works well is also a challenge at the same time. Well, same we is true with our personalities, isn't that always the case? Your weaknesses are your strengths. We, um, I mean, we rely a lot on email communication. Right. I mean, we just most of our staff is located in Washington, D.C. And as I mentioned, we've got time zone differences that we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, so we rely a lot on email communication. We are we rely a lot on events, I think, like most companies, you know, when the pandemic hit a lot of those events, you know, we, we transitioned from doing a lot of in-person events at industry wide uh, conferences <clears throat> that take place around the world each year to a lot of virtual events. But I think, you know, in a way that was also good for us because it allowed us to innovate and think differently about the types of events that we're running with our members, right? So we provide a lot of different opportunities for them to engage not only with us, but with each other. And that was really important during the pandemic. So for example, 
we created something that we branded uh, <clears throat> ICEP in-depth events, okay, webinars. And these, the name in-depth, as the name in-depth implies, these tended to be more kind of deep dives into our programs or into the types of marketing and advising tools that we provide to our members for them to use with their students. You know, kind of the nuts and bolts that a particular staff member or two at a university, the one who is really dealing with the students on a day in and day out basis would be interested in. We also created a series of events uh, that we call ICIP Insights. These are kind of higher level thought leadership industry types of events. So we provide opportunities for our staff to engage with, with others on topics that are pressing at the moment, right? And then we also created just coffee was that, hours. Were those also webinars? Yep, all web. this was all during the pandemic. Everything was a webinar. And then we also created just coffee hours, right? Where we're just facilitating conversations, they're networking opportunities, they're opportunities at the time for our members to say, hey, how are you dealing with this situation? You know, how are you dealing with this situation? And the situation, of course, during the pandemic was, you know, are you going to be welcoming students? <laughs> Is your university right. going to be open to accepting students or not? Because no, so your business shut down for oh, a year yeah. and a half, two years? Yeah, two years. I mean, not completely shut down, but yeah, I mean, our whole industry, the travel industry in general was... There was no abroad. Not much. Not much. So how did you continue to raise money? Like, how, how, what is your, would you mind me asking it? Well, I assume nonprofit, it's public information. What is your revenue? Roughly 10 million a year, pre-pandemic. And, and, and yeah, so what, what, how did that, like, what did that go down to by the end of 2020, 2021? Like, yeah. was Dropped your revenue cut half. in half? Yeah, more than half. Yes. Yes. I mean, we are fortunate in that as a membership organization, we do have annual dues that we collect. So that was a revenue stream that we were fortunate to have access to that others in our industry uh, didn't. Our retention rate is through the roof. Mm. I mean, because they, the they knew they knew it was going to come back. Right. Oh, yeah. So they, they can't shut down, sever ties. It's a matter of enduring it. Like, okay, we're going to pay our dues because we need to. We know we're going to need this as soon as it's available again. Whereas you go to the private for-profit organizations, like that's a lot tougher. They were yeah. they they were hit. That, I mean, it's such a devastating thing for the for your industry. Not to mention the services. Uh, surrounding the universities like uh, um, apartments and and uh, I don't know cleaning and um, all the restaurants where people are going to eat when in these uh, locations I mean my gosh what a mess that made for you guys no doubt it was a tough couple of years you know you've got you know our at our members you know in these international education offices budgets were reduced. You know, some folks, you know, there's experienced some turnover, even staff reductions in some cases, as you might imagine. It was a rough two years, but we're we're fortunate. You know, we have we have a, a, a dedicated, you know, committed base of members. Our retention rate remained extremely high, as I said, about 98% through the pandemic. 
And um, you know, I said this earlier in this podcast, you know, we kind of are a quality over quantity uh, right. approach, I would say. We want members who see a need for us in a way that ISEP addresses their global education goals. So we want members that are members of ISEP for a reason, for a strategic business reason on their end. So that's another reason why our retention remained high during the pandemic and was high before the pandemic and is high after this pandemic because we are meeting a, a strategic need for, for them. And as you I, said, Dave, it's just, a, you know, we were all hoping that it was a, a matter of time, just a matter of time before you know, travel could resume again. Everything bounced back. I mean, we're back to pre-pandemic levels at this point. It's We're recording this in uh, February of 2023 now. We are. Travel in general is back with a vengeance. Uh, students are have been itching and craving to get abroad. And yeah, we are back. So you're about uh, 10 about million back. in revenue again, or on track for about that. Yeah. In fact, we're, we're going to have a record-breaking year. I, I don't mind telling you That's that. That's awesome. We yeah. don't mind hearing it. That's always a good thing <laughs> to hear. So what did, your, what did your engagement strategy change like coming out of the pandemic to today? What yeah. is different today than it was beforehand? Awesome question, Tom. That's a good question. <laughs> we're still figuring it out, to be honest. You know, in-person events are, are occurring again as Everyone is doing business travel once again. We're not planning to go back to depending as much on those face-to-face -face, you, you know, opportunities as before, but we're certainly going to be present there. You know, we host receptions. You know, we want to create opportunities face -to for face-to-face -face engagement with our members. If we're going to be at an event in Europe or at an event in Asia, we want to, we want to find opportunities to bring our members together to communicate them and, and we do all the business meetings and the dinners and things like that to have more intimate and uh, environments and opportunities for deeper business conversations. But where I think we're also going to continue with some of these virtual events. And that's, I think, the part that we're really trying to figure out. I mean, we, and I'm sure a lot of folks have experienced Zoom fatigue, virtual meeting fatigue. So I think the challenge for us is to continue to find content that our members are seeking and are going to want to participate in so that these virtual get togethers, you know, can continue to be meaningful. So, you know, we're still working on our strategy, you know, as we, as we come out of this. Tom, what do you say? Should we jump into the last question of the day? Yeah. All right. So, so here's what we do, Edson. If, and I think you've listened to a couple of these, so you may know this already. We like to summarize, or, or, or let me let me rephrase that. We like to um, clarify uh, one key takeaway, and and we'll go first to give you a minute to think. But uh, uh, for you, it may not be a takeaway as much as a, a residual message or a point that you want people to take away from the conversation, or maybe an insight that you you. Uh, came across today. So Tom, what about you? What do you, what was your key takeaway from today? So when I hear Edson talk about their story and their engagement and stuff, what I think about is when you believe you can overcome, because I just hearing the story about, I mean, COVID shut them down for two solid years, practically budget cut in half. And now they're going to have a record year within two years coming out of it. That just speaks to the passion that their team and staff 
had in serving to have 98% retention during that time frame. I mean, it just speaks volumes over the value they see and the commitment of the staff that Edson has and the passion they have to know that they could come back and overcome and get to where they were pre-pandemic. So hats off to Edson for you and your team and all your volunteers to pull that off. Because to me, that's the big takeaway listen to this story is never say never and never, never give up because, I mean, markets go up and down, but the nonprofit sits at the center fold of all that driving inspiration for people to come back and win the day. But not only that, Tom, I'm going to add to that and then I'll say mine, right? Because I was Mm -hmm. thinking something along those same lines. Uh, But what I loved about what Edson said is we're still trying to figure it out, right? Right. So so everything's shifting and he's still trying to figure out, uh, for lack of a better word, I wrote wrote down a, a, a virtual engagement strategy like still trying to figure out that virtual engagement strategy the in-person stuff probably not going to change that much but the transition of pre-covid to going through covid now coming out of it the other end now it raises this question of what do we continue to embrace virtually and as we continue to build the business this the way we know works right so that that's really interesting to me since you said that, and I think that was a really good takeaway. Uh, the I think the really interesting point out of today's call was when Edson explained why his why. You know why is he into this, and and that struck a chord with me having kids at this stage and seeing the transformation that my son went through. And it's nice that there's people like Edson out there that are trying to make that experience transformational for my kids. So I appreciate that, Edson. I, I know you're, I know you have a, a life around you in, in addition to your job, but I appreciate the work you're doing in your job to help my kids grow and develop. So thank you for that. And that, that to me is very touching and I appreciate it. I know it's frustrating at times because jobs are, and that's just how jobs are. All right, Edson, what do you got? What's your, what's the key message? <laughs> well, listen, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head. I mean, perseverance was, was key for us over the, over the past two years, no doubt about it. But, you know, right now, I think the message for us continues to be, you know, making sure that as an association, as a membership organization that we are listening to the needs of our members. So when I talk about we're trying to figure it out in terms of virtual engagement, that process starts with understanding, you know, what types of topics and opportunities would they like to see us make available for them? We've done a lot of work on our programmatic development side as a result of this process to create programs that are meeting the current needs of students. So I think, you know, for me, in terms of effective engagement, the process starts with listening and understanding. And I do kind of feel like as we are now still arguably in the early stages of a post-pandemic or epidemic, whatever we want to call what period we're in now, and we are living in this hybrid world where in-person events and in-person engagement opportunities are coming back with the, with the virtual engagement opportunities for an organization like us who needs to reach people all around the world still make a ton of sense. I think we need to start by 
understanding what our audience is looking for, you know, mm. how they see the value that we can provide to them and then figuring out, you know, how we can effectively and efficiently provide that for them. Awesome. What is the best way for people to reach you if they don't have questions? Well, I mean, they can look me up on ISIP's website at isip.org and feel free to email me at eolds at isip.org. Would love to engage with uh, anybody who has questions or wants to talk further. Yeah, and, and I usually ask this early on because, but I jumped right in out of the car to this podcast for my kids engaging them. <laughs> how, how did you, how did, how did you, I usually ask this early on, but how'd you and Dave meet? Did y'all meet in a, at a bar somewhere did you meet are you a client i mean how, how, how no. they brings on these guests that i don't know and i'm like i could tell you meet? we we have tom we have a, a and in fact if anyone out there wants to participate in this i would love to to get you edson and i do not know each other we um we pulled edson's name out of a database where we have membership and engagement people and that's that's how we we got his name so this we have a whole bunch of people that are coming to talk to us based on that uh, initiative that we reached out to. So that's it, awesome. Tom. Awesome. All right, Edson, Bye. thank you so much for your time. I really yeah, appreciate thanks, it. Thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun. It's great speaking with you. Really yeah, appreciate man. the opportunity. Hope to cross, cross at ASA or someplace in the future. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at tommorson.biz or dave at propfuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.